Hey, what's going on? This is Josh. This is the continuation of my conversation with Pauling Longdon. Um, if you if it sounds like we're kind of just starting up out of nowhere, go back and listen to part one of the interview. Uh, I explained that we cut off um, kind of abruptly because we were just rolling from one topic into the next with really no good place for me to edit this. Um, so just be aware of that. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Business Gorillas Podcast, where the biggest, baddest, and most fearless business owners pull the curtains back and reveal their most tightly guarded secrets and strategies. With your host, serial entrepreneur and marketing visionary, Josh Rosenberg. Buckle up, it's time to get started. And I think that's when I, I finally found the business that I'm in now that I actually wanted to change. And that was when I actually re-engaged in life. I started to see the better side of life. I was, I was writing the messages for these amazing people and, you know, um, helping them spread their message. That actually gives me a, such a sense of fulfillment and that I'm making an Im, Im, impact in people's lives giving them the solution that they so desperately want because I know when I was looking for a solution, there wasn't anything for my depression. It was like, it was just a wasteland. So, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah and I know that was... the world is different today and especially mm -hmm. with um, depression rates having gone through the roof through, you know, due to COVID and people, yeah. uh, at least here in the States, I don't know how it is and I'll show you, but it's, becoming much more socially acceptable to talk about this and to open up emotionally yeah. to seek help and how everybody um, is going through their own battles and trying to um, be supportive of one another in ways that you, uh, I don't remember seeing before this. So yeah. it, you may have had a totally different outcome had your story taken place in 2021. Yeah, well, I don't think I would have got to the depths of despair to to that degree because there are the support net mechanisms that the stigma it hasn't entirely been taken away, but you know, as you said, people are having more of the conversation. And you know what? I didn't even share the story even with um, my partner. Um, I didn't even tell them that I tried to drive into a tree that day. I just went home. And they, they just thought it was just, you know, that was my discharge day. Hey, um, okay, so let's let's get on get on with life. They were oblivious. They didn't even know that happened until years later. I was at a, um, uh, a speaker training event and they said, oh, tell us one of the most, you know, the most, you know, the most painful stories that you've, you've kept hidden for years. So I told that story and my partner just started like crying and bawling in the in the audience Jesus. and they they turned around and said what you've never heard that story and she went no I've not heard that story holy shit and then you know I, I wrote a book about it and just started to share my story because I just thought you know because that's the thing Josh you know people look at me now and they go oh yeah you're successful and 
you know, you got all this happening and I, I can tell you it, there were there were moments in my life that, you know, I would have given it all up just for the, the solace of death. Yeah. Um, I, uh, man, this is getting really uh, uh, dark <laughs> and I really want to keep it light. Sorry, I'll, I'll just finish it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I invited you on here because I knew this was not a typical podcast. And if people listening to this get uncomfortable, I understand. Um, but I also feel like this is a story that's a very important one to tell. And um, last year, I lost one of my oldest and closest friends to suicide. And on the outside, his life looked perfect. He had a, a loving wife. They, they were in love with each other. He had just had a second kid. Uh, they just moved into a bigger house. His job was going great. He has a wonderful family. He was a roommate of mine for two years in college, and we've stayed friends 20 plus years just the most optimistic, upbeat person you've ever met. And um, his wife one day walks into the garage to get something and he was hanging there. Um, oh, man. And it turned out that uh, he had been keeping journals since he was 12 years old that he knew he was going to take his own life at some point. And mm -hmm. this had hit me really hard because he was one of my closest friends in the world. And I spoke to a counselor about it and I told her and she said, you know, the sad truth is, is, you know, you think suicide, you think the, the person that goes up to the top of the really tall building and then, you know, you're trying to talk them down for the ledge. And that's a kind that you can sometimes help people out of, but there, there's other types that you're not going to save them and they're not mm -hmm. going to show signs and counselors, trained professionals will never see it because they'll know exactly what to say and not say so that no one mm -hmm. has a clue. And when they know the time is right for them, they're just going to do it. And yeah. that's scary to think that it's something inevitable that nobody else can help with, that you have to be the one to decide not to, to take that final leap, or in this case, not to hit that tree. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I'm, I, I mean, I guess I wasn't to that to say, um, it wasn't a matter of if it was when, because I've certainly had those, those um, people in my life where, you just feel that there's just something and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, I guess because I'm quite empathetic or I've got like a sense from my nursing, I could just pick up things in people. And I, I think if, if you're feeling that, like, and, and maybe just like, let's give it like, let's sow some seeds of hope, is that if you do actually feel like that, then find what it's, it's I know why I wanted to, to kill myself is because people were already grieving around me for the loss of the person that I had been the dynamic mm. leader in the army the the person who had the you know the world at her feet all that sort of stuff but when I had depression then people around me were grieving me the loss of who I was and I just went you know what so I I, I wrote a book about it and I actually mentioned in the book you know um uh, people think that suicide is selfish but I, I actually felt that I was selfless because I wanted to stop the pain of the people around me so that they could get over their grief and get on with their life instead of watching me deteriorate even further and then like just continue to grieve me all around me. But also I was grieving me. I was grieving the loss of me. So I don't know. I don't have the answers for everyone, but if, if you're not engaged with life, find something that helps you feel alive. Um, as I said, I found copywriting and, you know, it, it maybe sounds cheesy, but I, I really do think that that's the thing that keeps me on the planet. I actually 
enjoy helping other people, being of service to other people and getting their message out. Um, yeah, find find what makes you feel good. When, uh, you know, to be cynical asshole, because that's just mm-hmm. how I am. Um, yeah. When you said that you don't think that uh, suicide is selfish, uh, the one caveat is you have mm-hmm. 8 million people a day riding the subways here in New York City, and inevitably a few times a year, there's going to be some asshole in the middle of rush hour that steps in front of that train and screws up everyone's commute. I that see. that person's a selfish yeah. asshole. Well, I agree, because there's other ways to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't be so selfish. Don't make the entire city late, <laughs> you know, have, having just worked a full day and tired and want to go on with go home and get on with your life. Make everyone delayed two hours. Screw you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've never been in New York. I, I, you know, when the world opens up again, I definitely want to get there. Because, um, yeah. Have you even lived if you haven't been in New York? That's my question. Well, <laughs> when you do make it here, I'm happy to take you out anywhere other than the tourist traps. I refuse yeah, to do you. the Times Square, the Statue of Liberty, any of that I refuse. So I will take you to the real places, the fun places. Yeah, um, cool. Look forward so to it. <laughs> let's uh, get back on track a little bit. So yeah, for sure. As a writer, you part of the the fun is getting to tell these incredible stories, these dynamic stories, these you know uh, phoenix rising up from the ashes stories, and um, I, I could understand. You know, there's definitely something very therapeutic about that, um, and so I think that that's probably, if I was going to guess, that's one of the parts of it that. Um, excites you and and is fun and and you know makes you feel proud and and all that uh, am i correct in guessing that absolutely um, i mean i for the longest time i thought that my story was absolutely so boring it wasn't funny so to be able to um use my talents and gifts to to tell other people's stories i mean i love telling stories i used to tell stories as a kid i was, I was known my mom would call me like a bullshit artist because i just make up these concoct these stories but these days i don't have to um but uh make up stories because there's so much good fodder out there and you you're right i mean i love finding a way to get someone's magic out into the world and then in a way that you know because I, I guess not everyone has the talent that we have or the gift that we have in, in um, using words. Some people are quite overwhelmed by it or they're, they're still like, they've got their you know English teacher in their head saying, oh no, that's the wrong grammar. And it's like, I just love to be able to give people the voice that they so right, rightfully deserve to, to change the world around them. It's of course, amazing. I mean, one of my favorite places to look for brilliant writing is stand-up comedy. And you'll see a lot of comics, they're, they're producing a joke every 30 seconds to a minute. It's very quick, rapid fire, you know, set up, mm-hmm. punchline, set up, punchline, all that. And then there are some comedians that will go on these long stories and it might be five, six minutes before they get to the punchline, but it doesn't get boring. The audience is like glued to every word that they're saying. And mm-hmm. it, there's just something very powerful about that. So when you can do that, and obviously the audiences, they're expecting there to be a funny punchline at the end yeah. of this as opposed to what we do where you usually leave humor out of your writing uh there are exceptions but nine times out of ten you're not going to have humor in it but so to be able to, mm-hmm. to take somebody and hold their attention that same way there's something really powerful in that um but yeah. with that you and i are also exposed to a lot of bullshit every day a lot of unsavory <laughs> stuff a lot of uh charlatans a lot of um 
stuff that we can look at and know right off of the bat that this person's full of it or this method of doing business will never work um, without really, unless you wanted to calling anyone out directly without doing that. What are, what's something that you see that the listeners should be able to hear and, and know to avoid that if you see X, that means it's bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's just a, a lot of like cocksure people out there that are, you know, they'll, they'll promise the world and then they just never deliver. And, and we kind of like alluded to it at the start of it, you know, like the copywriter that goes in all guns blazing saying I'm the best copywriter in the world or I'm the best copywriter and whatever. And, and then it's like they can't even string a sentence together. And then the person who's paid them just goes, I could have written this myself. You never want to say that about a copywriter that I, I could have written this myself. That's that's not the best use of your time, but certainly that means that that copywriter had no talent. And I just see time and time again, these amazing, you know, businesses and, and I don't know, influences and that, that have got such a great message, but they've just put it in the wrong hands, like the sure. hands of people who are um, incompetent and I mean, they're too confident and they're so incompetent. I don't know. Um, so really, you know, I think the biggest thing that shits me about the industry is people that are selling empty promises. And yeah. And I, 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 go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't even know. Um, maybe someone's too cocky, but then, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a quiet confidence in a copywriter like us. But then you just get these guys that just like walk around and it's almost they need a, a wheelbarrow to carry their balls in front of them. Like their, their balls are that big, you know? So I don't know. I just, how can, how can you spot those guys? But they're not only guys, there's women as well. Sure. Sure. I see. I I've mentored uh, a few women that were like this and their reasoning is, I'm a woman in a male dominated industry. And because I've had past success, that means I'm the best of the best. And it's like, you are really connecting dots that don't go together here, lady. And the reality is what we are doing and with all the skills that we may bring to the table and all of our experiences is we're essentially trying to make the best educated guests possible. Mm -hmm. No matter how many wins you've had in your career and how successful you've been, there's no guarantee. And I've produced work for clients and for myself that everyone that looked at it said, this is absolutely brilliant. Holy shit. I'm just jealous that I didn't think of that before. And then it gets, it launches and it crashes and burns and that happens. So for anyone to come in there and and promise the world, they're delusional. Period. Yeah, I agree. Maybe that's, that's the biggest thing is like, I guarantee this is going to be success if you get that walk because I, I would never do that. I won't guarantee results, but I, what I will do is I will stand by and I will change that copy until it works. Whereas usually the, the big talkers, you know, they'll, they'll promise results and then they'll ghost you. Yeah. They can't, they can't handle the failure. Whereas it's like, well, we know that that's a part of it. I mean, some of the greatest copywriters, they only had like a, a batting average of what, you know, 80%, you know, still that means that they strike out yeah, 20% 100%. of the time. I know your mentor, Paris, is one of the best writers in history. And I know a few projects that he just, mm-hmm. it, it flopped. It happened. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, and it, there's a lot of reasons that can be. It, it could be... Yep. Um, 
that the audience is different than who you thought they were. Um, mm -hmm. I use a service called Tower Data that I love. Um, basically, when I have a new client, I'll have them upload their mailing list. And Tower Data has this intelligence uh, feature where it takes your mailing list and it cross-references everywhere that that email address has been used. And so we oh, can wow. figure out who each person is and it will mm -hmm. build uh, a whole spreadsheet of pie charts and graphs and stuff with the, who that demographic is. And you'll realize a lot of times, oh, these people might be older than I thought. They may be yeah. uh, you know, more educated or less educated. They may be more or less religious. Maybe they have blue collar jobs. And I thought that they had, you know, there were office workers you get a totally different picture. Um, mm. And so something like that alone, you may have written a sales letter to who you previously thought the actual audience was, but now that you're writing, you know, it's not, that's not meant for the people that are actually reading it. And, you know, that's something that you could figure out very quickly, but a lot of people don't take that step. And that's just yeah. one of a hundred <laughs> different reasons why something may not work as you were expecting or hoping that it would. So yeah, I mean, anybody out there that's promising you the world, just be very wary because that, that's not realistic. I've, had, um, I've written probably more letters in the, the dating niche than just about anybody alive. I can write them in my sleep and it, I still from time to time have had flops. Yeah, yeah. I had a flop recently when um, I wrote a, a pack to in, um, to get investors into this um, hedge fund that I'm, I'm helping um, to build. And uh, I wrote this uh, pack. I wrote to exactly who we researched the, the avatar was. And one of the guys, like a, an affiliate uh, kind of like um, person, put that in front of the wrong people. So to use an analogy my beautiful wagyu black truffle infused burger that was had that like you know um gold leaf encrusted bun that was worth like thousands of dollars was being put in front of a mcdonald's crowd no wonder yeah. the freaking copy didn't work so i was happy to say you know like to say and this is why and by the way i think that um all the great copywriters that i've ever met our marketers as well they know the whole thing they, they're not just a, a pen for hire um so i actually looked at the copy and i went you know this should be working i'm not sure what's going on so i just looked at the whole picture and i went oh okay this is what's going on put it to the, the to the right crowd it's working that's yeah. you know but i would have been happy to take that as a flop and say okay so let's rewrite it and let's um change it so you know i mean you've just got to roll with it but not not lose your shit and just go oh my god you know i can't handle this it's, it's, and then blame the client which is another thing that i hate when copywriters go clients suck and it's like no if, if all of your clients suck you're the common denominator man like Absolutely. look at yourself don't look at you don't look at the the um don't look at people and blame them look at yourself and there, mm. you will have clients that do suck that does happen but yeah if that's a constant excuse yeah. then yeah it is that that person i had um student that i was mentoring recently and i said um i i wanted to see where his skills were at um i wanted him to create something for me brand new so i have a mm -hmm. business called rock guitar mastery where we i have real rock stars teaching people how to play guitar uh the company did very well for a long time i there was a the vsl that i used was seven and a half minutes long there was no landing page 
that was the ad that was on Facebook and Instagram was the VSL. And when you clicked on the, the learn more button and went right to the checkout page and it worked, mm. it converted. And that yeah. is really hard to do, but it yeah. did. Now it's five, six years later and that no longer works. So I said, okay, well, I need to rebuild a new front end. Cool. So I gave this kid um, task of, I want you to write for me a front end sales letter. doesn't need to be hundred percent finished. It could still be in a draft mm-hmm. form, but go. And he comes back to me like a week or so later. I looked at it and I said, where'd you get this from? He goes, well, I, I started to get targeted for guitar ads. I looked at what they did. I thought I saw ones that I, I liked that looked like they were probably really good. And that's what I used. And I said, okay. And I pointed all the reasons why this wouldn't work for him. And I said, mm-hmm. you, you, you have no idea if that's working for them or not. You're going into completely blind. You're guessing based on your experience of zero minutes in this industry, in this niche. Yeah. He's, he's written yeah. in other niches, but in this one, mm-hmm. a t- grand total of zero minutes. Abs. This is, will never work. And if I was a client, I'd fire you on the fucking spot and demand my money back, period. Mm-hmm. So then I had to show him how to do real research. And he did. And he spent three weeks researching it. And he came back to me with much better um, stuff to work from. And then I say, great, here's how we're going to lay out the letter and we're going to organize it like this. And we realize 95% of everybody that we found online, no matter where they were in whatever forums or subreddits or whatever, they were um, older men that had been playing guitar for years, sometimes decades, that only knew the same few riffs and chunks of songs and bits and pieces mm-hmm. and were embarrassed if anyone, you know, their friends and family thought that they were good they would be terrified if somebody asked them to play because they were embarrassed that they weren't better because they only knew this mm-hmm. few things and nothing more. And I said, that's almost every single complaint. Don't you think that this should be who we're talking to? And the entire letter should focus on talking to that person with that frustration. And he's like, oh my mm-hmm. God, yeah, you're right. I said, great. <laughs> so we started to systematically build the sales letter out. And he's asking me, he's like, when I was writing the first one, how did I write it to be successful enough that the VSL could be the ad and it would go to the checkout page? I go, you want to know how I, I wrote this? He goes, yeah, what'd you do? I said, I went to the store and I bought a guitar. I got books. I got DVDs. I took private lessons. I learned how to play. I dove into it for a couple of months learning how to play. And I got found my frustrations. I then went online and I was looking for, YouTube videos and answers to this, this, and this. And I realized I was having the same frustrations as everyone else. And as a result, I was able to create something that sold really, really well. So, you know, if you're not going to be making that kind of a commitment and listen, you can tell your client, you need a budget to be able to do that. Cause you know, even in this niche, yeah, you could get started for a couple hundred bucks, but you still don't want to have to necessarily come out of your own pocket. But in other niches like real Mm -hmm. estate, you can't dive in for a couple hundred bucks. That's very expensive. But yeah. if you're not willing to make the commitment to, to learn everything about it at first hand, not just ask your client to send you over a sample so that you know you can touch it and smell it and taste it and whatever the product is that they're selling. No, you really have to dive in. If you're not willing to do that, then you're never going to get your writing up to a level where you can be demanding the, the right rates and be able to produce the right results, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it is, it's all about results. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can't provide for your client that much value, you don't deserve to expect that kind of money in return. 
That's why we have, Correct. you know, a lot of times we work mm -hmm. for royalties because that's, mm -hmm. it, it's a percentage of the value provided. If you could go yeah. back to in time to when you were starting your first business with the knowledge mm -hmm. that you have now, what would you have done differently? I don't think I would have started that business, to be honest, Josh. The franchising <laughs> one? Yeah, the franchising one. I would have just given it a hard miss, to be honest, because, um, you know, with the knowledge that I've got right now, I could see that it was just um, not an easy one to market. And um, really, there wasn't the need for it in, in, in the marketplace. It was like they hadn't found the starving crowd and that and and they were trying to sell them like something that they didn't even want like no but they were trying to create a demand or they're trying trying to create the desire and as we know in copywriting it's it, it's you don't even need to create a desire you just tap into ones that are already there so yeah um, they're, they're selling kit minutes which yeah that if for anyone that doesn't know that reference um the tv show always sunny in philadelphia there's um, one episode, they were going to this uh, fair for inventors. And uh, one of the characters on there, Charlie, he, he comes up with his idea of kittenmittens. And his whole pitch is, aren't you tired of your cat stomping around the house so loud you can't even sleep? Well, you put these mittens on and now they're going to be quiet. And of course, that's absolutely stupid. But that was the point yeah. of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like in this case, with the franchise business, they were trying to sell kitten mittens. Yeah, and they hadn't, they didn't even dive deep enough down the rabbit hole to find out what, what business owners actually wanted. And if they had have, then that would not have gone bust. But because it was such a, a shallow, and really what it was, was a, a vanity project for the CEO, and he just took down people for millions of dollars. So, and I lost a lot of money. So, and that makes me a better writer for financial and just about everything in life and for business owners, because I know what it feels like to lose all everything that you've you've put into that business and then some so sure yeah um, and it sounds like he had something known as uh the failed inve inventor syndrome and this is something you mm. see all the time when somebody thinks that they have a great idea that they've got the next big thing and <clears throat> people don't really believe in the idea so they'll spend weeks or months or whatnot, a few thousand dollars in their garage, tinkering away, believing that it yeah. once, maybe I didn't describe it right, but when my friends and family see it in action, then they'll realize the genius. Yeah. And a few thousand <laughs> dollars later, they come out and still everyone's shaking their head saying, I don't, I don't see it. I don't think that this is going to be a thing. And so they double down rather than admitting that, you know, mm -hmm. maybe I was, I was wrong. There's certain, no, the, once it gets out to the mass public, then they'll see it. My friends, they were already biased against it. They're jealous. Yeah. So now they've remortgaged their house. They put everything on the line, $300,000. They've got an entire warehouse full of boxes for this thing that nobody wants and doesn't sell. Mm. And that happens way too often. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, the, the talent of that guy was that he took a whole heap of people down with him. So, uh, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, that's a uh, character. That's what you always say. It's a uh, uh, good. You know, a good captain is when he takes everyone down with the ship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Women and children uh -huh. are the first to drown. Um, yeah. So, Pauline, um, <laughs> if somebody wanted to learn more about you or get in contact with you, maybe wanted to talk to you about bringing on for their, their copywriting project, how can they get in touch with you? 
Yeah, so um, my website is uh, thecopyalchemist.com. Simple as that. And uh, yeah, it's got everything they'll need. Um, email, everything on their social media. Just if they want to get in touch with me, that would be cool. Awesome, awesome. Well, Pauline Longden, this has been eye-opening and lightning and, and, and a lot of fun getting to know you better and getting to hear your experiences and what it's done to lead you up to this place where you've become this incredibly powerful writer. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast. If you're a highly successful entrepreneur and want to be a guest, go to businessgorillaspodcast.com and fill out the form. Remember to share us on social media. Click the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you got anything out of the show. Feel free to connect with us on social media. If you're looking to connect with world-class top marketers and some of the most experienced fractional chief marketing officers in the world today, head on over to verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. On behalf of your host, Josh Rosenberg, thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast. 